0: our time to study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you, Father, for assembling us here. Thank you, Father, in your sovereignty to set aside uh, this day that you've commanded us to assemble. Pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word. I pray, Father, that you would keep me from saying anything that would be false or incorrect, and uh, Father, may I in many ways just get out of the way and allow your word to speak. We do love you, we thank you for first loving us, and Father, we ask your blessings again upon our time, that you be glorified in everything that is said and done this day. We pray these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior and Treasure, Jesus Christ. But today we'll be finishing up uh, our two-part series in Habakkuk. Uh, part of my preparation is oftentimes I'll read commentaries or sermons or other things. And uh, interestingly, uh, John MacArthur did a, a three-part series on this book. And when he got to the last Sunday, the third part, um, he said he's really going to miss it because he's gotten to like this person Habakkuk and uh very much the same for me as I've read through it um, I mean ultimately it is about God it is about Christ but uh there is something about uh this prophet that um, is appealing so uh but this morning we're going to look at chapter 3 uh for Those of you that struggle finding some of the minor prophets, uh, that's the easiest way to get there to start in Matthew and work your way toward the front, toward the Old Testament. You can see where Habakkuk is located. give you just a very, very brief overview, we studied this last week, but it is one of the minor prophets, and we said a minor prophet does not mean that it's less significant, but that it means that it's minor in size, and, and we said this one's only 56 verses in total and more narrow in, per- in focus. So that is very much fitting for the book of Habakkuk. Uh, the, the, the setting of it is during Jehoiakim's uh, reign. We know the timing of it is somewhere between 612 B.C. and 586 B.C., 586 being the siege of Jerusalem. And we know that this is ultimately what Habakkuk is prophesying. We don't know much about him uh, other than he is a prophet, uh, and uh, we know that because it states so twice uh, in 1-1 and then in 3-1, uh, 3-1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, uh, and this is the only place in the Bible in which Habakkuk is mentioned. We talked a little bit last week about some other things that were speculated about him, but ultimately, if you're looking for his name in the Bible, that's... In the only going to find. Brief outline. Uh, really, if you were to look at the book, uh, it is comprised of two complaints and two responses uh, by God. The first complaint in verses 2 through 4. Uh, ultimately, Habakkuk is, is saying that uh, your people, the people in Judah... Uh, are wicked people. They've been allowed to continue to go on being wicked. He described the destruction and violence, strife and contention. Uh, he said uh, the wicked surround the righteous. And he says, How long, God, even allow this to continue? So God responds in verses 5 through 11. And he says, I will take care of the wickedness there by sending the Chaldeans. Uh, also known as the Babylonians, who were known to be uh, a very wicked, wicked group of people. They were described uh, by God as being bitter, dreaded, fearsome people who gathered captives like sand. And They were going to be God's instrument of judgment. Not surprisingly, Habakkuk said, well, that really wasn't the answer that I was looking for. Uh tell you what, maybe my second question or complaint is, one, why did you pick them? They're even more wicked than the wickedness that exists in Judah. And two, they've been going on being wicked. How long are they going to be able to last before they get judged? So God responds in chapter two, pretty much the entire chapter. And he talks about how they will be judged. He gives five woe statements, uh, and we we talked about uh, the the significance of that. In essence, it's better if they were not born, somewhat, if you want to call it that. And uh, he did mention a a verse that has been quoted several times by Paul, uh, speaking that the righteous shall live by faith. That's chapter 2, verse 4. He also said, during this time there were two verses that were somewhat recalibrations. As MacArthur said, it was Habakkuk stepping back on the solid ground. He's in the midst of this, and then all of a sudden he goes, okay, let me reflect. And the first one uh, was after God mentioning uh, his answer of the Chaldeans. Habakkuk said, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. The Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them proof. So what Habakkuk was doing was in his mind, he was reciting who God was. He's eternal, he's self-existent, he's holy, he's sovereign over all things. He says that you've ordained them or you've established them. He's also dependable. And also in the middle of that verse, uh, he shows that he was faithful. By saying that we shall not die as covenant people, and then you have the second time in which Habakkuk kind of steps back, puts his footing on solid ground, and that is um, after Habakkuk's second complaint, he says, "You know what? I'm just going to step back and be silent and listen." We talked a little bit last week. Sometimes that's the best thing we can do, especially if. God is not answering the prayers Our prayers the way we want him to answer, it's good just to shut our mouths, <laughs> step back, and as he says here, that he will wait for him, I'll take my stand at my watch post, station myself on the tower, and I'll look out to see what he will say to me. So that leads us to chapter 3. In chapter three, uh, most likely your Bible probably has a heading of Habakkuk's prayer. Um, Just real quickly, it is most likely a song, and it's that's driven from three different points: the first verse, the last verse, and a couple places in between. The first one says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionoth, and there is a question of what this word means. It's only found in two places in the entire Bible. Uh, it's never been translated, so people kind of try to figure out what it means. And the other place is found in Psalm 7, and they believe it's a musical term because Psalm 7 is also a song. This one here we also see at the bottom where it says to the choir master with strings instruments. So the sense is, whatever this word is, uh, it is associated with music. And those that uh, even venture further... They seem to think, most commentators seem to think that it is like the, the song's meter, that it is a song that is written in such a way in which it has strong emotion. And the thought being that just kind of the, the, the rolling of this, this psalm, if you want to call it that, within within the that. We also see several places the word "sela," which is a, a musical term, a musical notation, which is for a pause or a rest. And I think, interestingly, if you look in the Bible, it is found a number of times in the Psalms. Nowhere else except here in the book of the back. So, therefore, there is thought, many thoughts that this is meant to be sung or was sung. If we look here, this is generically the outline of his prayer. Uh, we see first a, a, a petition uh, for revival and mercy in verse 2. Uh, adoration that follows in verses 3 through 15. There's a confession of fear and then his response. So let's jump into this petition for revival and mercy. Verse 2, Lord, or Yahweh, I am. I have heard the report about you, Lord, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years in your wrath, remember, mercy. Ultimately, in this entire chapter, this entire prayer, there is only two petitions, two requests of God, and that is for revival and for mercy. Interestingly, there is a a, a question, a disagreement, about this first line. It says, I have heard the report about you. What does that mean? And the two arguments are, one group says it means it's pointing back to what we read in chapters 1 and 2. And if you were to read the King James, the King James says, Oh Lord, I have heard your speech. I have heard what you have said in chapters 1 and 2. And was afraid. There's many that say that whenever Habakkuk is saying this, he's saying, Okay, I listened to everything you said. I've heard about the Chaldeans. I've heard. I've seen, actually, in a vision what's going to occur, and I am afraid. The other camp says, actually, it's looking forward to the next several verses. It's referring to what comes next in verses 3 through 15. And if you were to read the NIV translation, it says, I have heard of your fame. And in essence, and I'm reciting what you have done. What has been told to me that you have done for the Israelites, especially as they come out of Egypt, the Exodus, and how we've conquered Canaan. And that verse continues, I've heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your So There's two camps out there. What, what is... Back and saying, is he rehearsing what he just heard? The report, what's going to happen, or is he going back and saying, "This is the God that I serve"? And uh, interestingly, we was doing devotions uh, the other night. I posed uh, this question to my kids and and I don't think we had a conclusion <laughs> that uh, was in agreement. Uh, and if you were to ask me today, I think it's actually what we're going to read in the next several verses. And the, and the main point there is many people say, if you look at the word fear, uh, it is one that relates to being in awe of something, reverence, as opposed to fear being fear as an afraid of something. But in either case, uh, we see here that he prays for revival, He prays that God would perform his mighty saving work uh, on behalf of of his covenant people during the years, during uh, the time of which Judah is sieged, is under attack, and in exile. Very similar to what we would say You know, we've been praying about what's going on in the Ukraine. We've been praying that God would bring about salvation through that time. It's very similar here. This is what Habakkuk is praying. And second, he is praying for mercy. In the midst of these years of judgment of Judah at the hands of the Chaldean, these very, very wicked people, remember mercy. Isn't it interesting? The Habakkuk prays, he doesn't pray selfishly and say, remove me from this. He doesn't pray for his friends and family and say, take them away from this. He doesn't pray, you know what, God, would you please consider changing your mind? Because it's going to be nasty. We're we'll going to talk about it in a second how This was a vision. This was not something spoke to him. He saw what was going to occur. This was a vision in which he was told to write this down. And his initial response is, God be merciful and God save the people. We see that is his response. We see that again. Second, it says, revive your work. Remember mercy, this is a good summation by the Clark, uh, the Clark commentary. It says, as the years approach, the nearer, the nearer the time, the clearer and fuller is the prediction, and the signs of the time show that the complete fulfillment is at hand. But as the judgments will be heavy, not greater than deserved, but the judgments will be heavy, yet Lord, in the midst of wrath, in the midst of affliction of punishment, remember mercy, and spare the souls that return unto thee with humiliation and prayer. So that was what Habakkuk prayed. That God would spare his people, that he would continue his remnant. The question is, did God answer that? We know yes, but here is additional proof. Did he revive his people? Did he display mercy? And this is taken from Malachi, which was written about 150 years later as the people eventually returned. And let's read what God's own words are in Malachi. Speaking of his people. Malachi 316 through 18. Then those who feared or those who revered the Lord Spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. Let me see what God says. It says, "They shall be mine," says the Lord of hosts, "In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him." Once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So we see very much that Habakkuk was praying, in essence, the will of God. This is the will of God. And this is what Habakkuk was praying, and we know that God answered very much as we see the end of that verse, very similar to what we read in Habakkuk 2, 4, that the righteous shall live by faith. So now as he continues to pray, he begins praising God for what he has done. We'd say adoration. Some believe that this is still part of the vision that God revealed to him. Uh, Others believe that he's just reciting what has been recorded, what has been passed down to him. But in either case, Habakkuk is once again rehearsing, remembering God's goodness to his people. And we see this in verses 3 through 15. It's just a reciting of what God has done, who God is. Some of the examples there. The radiance like the sun, says so in verse 4, brightness was like light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Very similar to what we'd see of the, the Shekinah glory that we see that led the Israelites in Exodus 40. Then he goes on to talk about plagues, and when we think of plagues, what do we think about? The plagues that were sent to Egypt, that created or began the Exodus out of Egypt. The mountain shaking, we think of Mount Sinai. And Israel's presence there in Exodus 19. Or how about in verse 11, he speaks of the sun and the moon standing still. That should sound familiar to us, right? Because we saw that the Israelites battled the Amorites in Joshua chapter 10. And then we see the trampled sea with horses again are reminded uh, of the dividing of the Red Sea and the Israelites going through. And as the soldiers came, the, the Red Sea collapsed again. as well the soldiers. And we know that God again, as I said, gave Habakkuk a vision to, two. he said, bright the vision of Judah being annihilated. So it is interesting that the response of Habakkuk is one prayer, and specifically the response that he prays for mercy, prays for revival. He remembers God's faithfulness to his people. Arthur described this, I think, in good application for us, that once again Habakkuk is standing on solid ground prophet reminds himself of the facts and the power of God so we just read and he assures himself that in these events God was keeping his word and fulfilling his oath to Abraham that he had again reminded to Isaac and Jacob and now we see the key to how to praise the Lord in any situation so we see ultimately Habakkuk once again Stepping on the solid ground, reminding himself, rehearsing in his mind who God is. Next, it starts to get very, I think, we get an insight back it. A very, you know, say personal. And that is his confession of fear. Verse 16. I hear. My body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, and my legs tremble. We know also that Jeremiah prophesies of the same event. We know that he prophesies of the destruction of Judah by the hands of the Chaldeans. His description of what was going to occur, not the verse of supper, but what was going to occur, found in Jeremiah 4, verse 7. He says, A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He is going, He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants Jeremiah saw the same thing. He knew what was going to occur. And we see... But Jeremiah's response is very similar to one of fear. Jeremiah 419, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. You know, oftentimes we are hit with tragedy. Hit with an event that causes us much pain. But when you read this, uh, I think it was giving, given a very visual picture of the annihilation that was going to occur. He was told to write it down so that when those that read it, right. and now he just wins. He knows it's going to happen. He knows how brutal it's going to be. He's afraid. He doesn't, right. doesn't want to see it. Here to think about it. He's going to lose his family and friends, many of them. He's going to lose his possessions, his home, his land, whatever he owns. He's going to be led away. To a foreign land, spending uh, years in exile. going to watch the slaughter of women and children and men, those that he walked with every day. Now he's told to wait. And he confesses his fear to God in this prayer. Very much as I was reading, this reminded me, and, and I heard uh, an interview. Um, by R.C. Sproul, and it was kind of in his last days of life. He was sick. And he made this comment that has stuck with me. He said, While I'm not afraid of death, I'm afraid of dying. The process of death. And here we see the backache. He said earlier, I know that we'll survive. I know that we will live, and that will continue. But yet, my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rock the rocket my the tremble. But we see this verse doesn't end there, does it? Bold is where we pick up. Yes. Yeah. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble, the day of calamity, to come upon the people who are in the I will stand my post, as he said earlier. I will keep watch. I will wait and see. Again, the said, the thought of it, of a Chaldean invasion of his people, left Habakkuk physically exhausted and overwhelmed. Nevertheless, Prophet could wait quietly for the days of distress because he knew the Lord would judge righteousness. That's the God that we serve. God hasn't changed, right? He's immutable, unchanging. And then we see uh, this book, this chapter of this book, closing out with, I think one of the most amazing responses in all the Bible. Again, remember, it's written here, chapter 2, verse 2, write this vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. This is what Habakkuk saw whenever he says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines; the produce of the olive fail. and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd. You go to Second Kings, chapter twenty-five. We read what it was like the invasion. Verse twelve, the end of that section is it all that was left was the poorest of God? Even though I'm going to lose my family and friends, my house, my land, all of my possessions, going to be led away in exile, going to see the slaughter of women and children and men whom I know at the hands of the most wicked people, talked about people being led away with fish hooks in their lips and their nose. Even though all of this, I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. That's what he says. I will rejoice. Yes, there will be no food. There will be no flock. Everything will be gone. But yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Very much similar to what he said in verse 16. I fear my body trembles, yet I will wait quietly here. You see, everything is going to be annihilated. Everything is going to be gone. Yet, rejoice in the Lord. Take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. The picture there is, You've seen pictures of mountain deer or pines going up rocks, mountains, thinking how in the world can they ever not fall off to their death, but yet they're so sturdy. That's the picture. Even though the world is crumbling around me, even though my entire nation is being slaughtered, I will rejoice. In some ways it goes back doesn't it to what God said verse 4 the righteous shall live by faith and that is what Habakkuk is living out a total dependence on the sovereign covenant Lord is Habakkuk's key to life he says that God the Lord is my strength very much Reminds me of Job. Many of you know that that is also a book that I enjoy reading. I will say a much harder book to read, as, as Tyler and I have talked about, especially if you sit past the first couple chapters and you get to the middle of the book and uh, read through it, uh, it, it, at times you could get lost. But it's look book Job. I have here uh, up here verses um, chapter one verse twenty and twenty one. But I'm going to read a little bit more of that. You may want to turn to chapter one of Job. And a couple of things that I want you to recognize. Uh, one is um, how close these events are as they have. We're going to see a couple of times it Says while he was yet speaking. So that's one thing. The other thing, notice too that um, while it's obvious God ordains all things, uh, here are some of the disasters caused by fire that comes from heaven, a great wind. Uh, so we see God's direct in this. And then we're going to see Job's response. I'm going to start at verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you that phrase while he was yet speaking. We see the final, most tragic. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came another. He said, your sons, your daughters, your ten children, your seven sons, your three daughters, were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. I alone escaped. All within a moment's notice. As one person is speaking, another shows up. As one that person is speaking, another shows up. As that person is speaking, the final person shows up. Let me see Job's response. Very similar. Then Job rose. Bore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and complained. The Lord he said, "Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken me away. Blessed be the name." back and say yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy my salvation. it says in verse 22 and all this Job did not but charge God seven thousand sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, many servants, seven sons, It all worship. Sure. He said, Naked I came from my mother's room, naked shall I return to the Lord, give it, or take it from my blessing. So how can, how could Job and Habakkuk respond this way? The question is, how can we respond when we are faced? With trials in the same way. And I would say that while they were Old Testament saints, they understood what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, and this is for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Fortunately, we don't have to face many of those. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation—he covers it all, right? Will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's all the events of life, isn't it? Close it up by saying, nor anything else in all creation that covers it. In case I forgot something on this list and you're going to say, yep, what about that? No. It's all covered. None of that can separate us from the Lord of Christ. To close uh, with a quote, that is from Jerry Bridges. I've given it to you before. I think it is very good to, to be mindful of, especially as we go through trials. And It's very much what Habakkuk did. And Jerry Bridges said this. He said, and I put it in three points just so it's easy to remember. It says, in the arena of adversity, the scriptures teach us Three essential truths about God. Truths we must believe if we are to trust Him in adversity. They are, first, God is completely sovereign. He controls all things, there's nothing that surprises Him. There's no event that occurs in our life and He's like, Where did that come from? I wasn't expecting that. Right. He is sovereign over all things. Second, he's infinite in wisdom. We find that God is perfect in love. All things work together. We don't understand him. But we trust that God is sovereign. We trust that he is all wise. He's all of them. As Habakkuk recited these things, as he put his feet on solid ground, may we, when we enter into times of trials, heartache, difficult times, maybe do the same. As you've heard many times, it's not when, it's or not if, it's when, right? that, I'll close. Any questions before I read? Cool. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time. Thank you, Father, for just these two brief weeks of studying the book of Habakkuk. Maybe, Father, see that Your word is profitable. May we see, Father, that it is a light unto our path. May we, Father, be mindful of it, especially as when we, too, come through times which are difficult. May we reflect on who you are. May we put our feet on solid ground, and, Father, may we trust in you. And we be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, in the time of trials. we we'll be able to rejoice when things aren't going the way that we would like them to. But again, Father, we thank you. We thank you for our time. We ask your blessings now as we soon transition into our morning prayer. Service, pray that you would bless it, pray that you would be with Tyler, that you would speak through him today. Again, we love you. We thank you for first loving us. We thank you for the precious gift of Jesus Christ, the precious gift of our salvation. It is in Jesus' name in which we pray.